Well, we'll get started. Um, good afternoon. I'm David DeBrandt. Um, I'm with Amazon Web Services. Um, thank you for coming. Four o'clock to come talk about procurement. As always, uh, I give kudos to everybody who shows up to those sessions. Um, but this is an important session. So um, let me have Jane introduce herself real quick. Jane Lacey. I'm out of the Washington, D.C. office where lots of public sector folks are. Um, as Dave said, procurement's a big deal in public sector, right? And uh, we've been doing this uh, for, I've been doing it for almost six years with AWS. And uh, so we wanted to give, share some tips and tricks and things that we've been doing to shape opportunities within the public sector so that, that you, our partner community, could be more successful or even find success in those opportunities that come up. So welcome. We appreciate your attention at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I know it's been a long day, so thank you very much for that. So um, let me explain my role real fast. I'm with a, a group called Capture, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a government-focused um, role. Um, basically, we're here to start shaping opportunities with government uh, ahead of time. Um, so quick question. How many people in the room, how many of the partners in the room do business with the government right now? Okay, most of you. Okay, so you're gonna know the language that we're talking about. How many people are federal? Okay, and state and local? Okay, and education? Okay, a couple. Anybody international? Hey. All right, I got one. All right, good, two. Um, I, that's my focus, actually. So I, I, uh, I actually joined AWS with a focus on state and local, uh, and I somehow migrated over into doing international. This has been a real fun adventure for me. So I manage a team around the world. So I'm going to give an international flavor on this. Jane? I'm going to attempt to give the U.S. version. And uh, I apologize. I, I think uh, I, my 6 a.m. wake-up call is, is getting to me. I, I manage the U.S. partner team for the emerging partners today. Um, but when I came on board, my sole task was to get contracts in place. <clears throat> there were zero AWS-bound contracts where um, this new te technology of ours could be even procured by. So we've been working the, for the past five years to achieve schedules like um, letter of supply holders for GSA on our behalf, um, SOUP5, uh, the NASPO value point contract, U.S. communities. Uh, these are procurements that, that we have helped to shape, and again, for our partners to do that. So my partner uh, community is made up of partners who are either new to public sector, and they're rock stars already with the technology, or they're new to AWS, AWS, and it's my team's job to, to help them develop as a, as a technologist, um, either a technology partner or an AWS consulting partner. Um, yeah, so thank you for that. So if you don't have a partner development manager already and would like some support or need some support, please see me afterwards and make sure you get taken care of from a public sector perspective. Thanks. Good. Okay, so what we're gonna cover today. Um, uh, we're just gonna talk a little bit about the public sector opportunity. I think most of you obviously recognize that because you're doing it. Um, we're gonna talk about why procurement's so important. Um, I know procurement is a dry topic, but it is so critical to this business. Teresa talked about it this morning, um, how important this has become, procurement and acquisition. Um, how partners fit into this. It's, very, it's critical to our business. Partners are a critical part of all of what we're doing including procurement. Um, we're gonna talk about some of the key considerations around procurement to give you a flavor of some of the issues and some of the things to think about. Um, talk about lessons learned. Um, Jane and I have a lot of lessons learned, um, a lot of experience doing this internationally, states, 
federal government, across the board, and ultimately how we can help. We both have resources on our teams who can help out with these things. So, so as you guys are all aware, cloud computing is different. Um, and you know, we talk about this journey to the cloud. Andrew Jassy loves to talk about that. I'll talk about that tomorrow, the journey to the cloud. I always say there's a journey to procurement as well. Government doesn't do this instantly. Um, here, bottom line for government, government is, tends to try to buy cloud like they've bought technology, uh, hardware, software, um, managed services, whatever. They try to buy cloud the same way they bought those services. And they try to use the same procurement and the same contracting approaches to do that. And it, 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 plain, it just doesn't work. Um, and what happens is the benefits of the cloud, the pricing, the innovation, the agility, and the speed are degraded or eliminated using traditional procurement techniques. And I am that blunt about it now with government. Like, you, will, you won't get the benefits of the cloud. Why do this? Until you really start understanding it. So, so what we're going to do is we're going to just walk through some of these pieces. So. Can I ask how many of you have had the opportunity to respond to a public sector bid and gone through the RFP bid process, yeah? Okay, fantastic. And uh, can any of you say that you successfully helped shape that opportunity into your favor? Good, God, you guys are rock stars, you need to be up here. <laughs> okay, well then maybe some of our lessons learned will be of benefit to you. Um, the opportunity, right? I really wanted to speak to this. Um, this this is a, you know, an eye chart of, of the who's who in public sector. Of course, there are many hundreds of thousands more that are working in public sector now globally, all across the world, as Dave indicated, um, and that has not been very long ago. So this is just a sampling of who some of our customers are in public sector today. Our public sector is made up of state, local government, education, K through 20, we also have all of aspects of the federal government, nonprofits, and now we also encompass publishing. And um, international. And yeah. international, see, this is why we both had to do this because <laughs> he's not gonna forget international. Um, the public sector market potential. This is critical, everybody, because third party, third party analysts like Forrester, Gartner, IDC, right? They all come up with their own reporting tools. This is not us saying what the market is. This is what the third party reports the auditors are saying. This is a huge billion, 128 billion market, right? I tell my partners every day, even if you just get a slice of it, that's a big piece of pie, okay? There's enough to go around. Public sector needs all of us in this room to find success. We are all customers of what we provide in our public sector community um, as citizens, right? Even in the international community. Um, so some statistics, right? Uh, and I, I was very curious, I was glad to find this statistic around the technology adoption curves as well. Because many of our customers and partners ask, well, what, what's the biggest you know, uh, um, horizontal or, or, or vertical type solution. What's big? How, Jane, how should I differentiate my business? What as a, you know, this is what I did in old school IT and I just don't know what my niche is or should be in the new AWS type technology world. This is what IDC CIOs, when we're polled, said is what's happening out there. You know, data analytics, IoT, cloud computing, of course, and mobile. 
That's what IDC has said. Partners that are focused on public sector today. Again, this is only a sampling. Each and every one of you, I want to be able to share your logo up here on this, up on this slide next year. Let me know how I can help you to achieve that. Um, we just finished a, a session with Christine to talk about partner programs that are specific to public sector. We have, we've come so far in this six years that public sector has existed or came to be uh, commercial, of course, has, has come up with a lot of partner uh, programs. We've adopted and now created our own, one of which is called the Public Sector Partner Program. And as you leave today, you're welcome to pick up this little card that's out there um, at, as you exit that describes the program. But essentially, uh, once you reach a standard tier partner, you can then you become eligible to become a public sector partner. The criteria is out there on the, on the card or on our website. Highly encourage those that are in public sector to achieve that program status, that, that, that status of partnership. Um, it, it differentiates you. Uh, once that happens, you know, I get a ping saying, hey, these guys have achieved this level. I need you to give them a call, Jane get them hooked up with a partner development manager and start helping them to define their, their market space, a go-to-market plan. So real important and a real advantage to becoming a public sector partner. And that also hooks you in with the capture team and the proposal team also. We have resources which we'll talk about at the end to help you out. <clears throat> awesome. Why is cloud procurement so important, Dave? I'm gonna tell you. Okay. Um, so, uh, as all of you are probably aware from doing cloud procurement, uh, you know what you're running into with, with government. Um, it is a risk adverse environment. They're spending taxpayer money. I, I'm convinced government, <clears throat> what they, they operate on is not being in the newspaper or on a website, is what drives them. So it's a conservative way of doing things. So it's a slow process. Um, we are talking years. Um, some of these cloud procurements we've been working on. Uh, we, uh, I just got actually an award on a deal that I think I started three years ago. So it's a little scary, but what's going to come out of that, though, is now the channel is there. And when the channel gets going and the interest is there, things really happen. Just government takes that, that time. Government right now is also very highly prescriptive. They, they are used to buying uh, what they want to build, um, a bespoke solution for them. Um, it may be a data center or it may be a system integration project. They're used to buying that way. Another challenge for us. Uh, terms and conditions. They have standard terms and conditions. Jane and I have been through this multiple times uh, talking about this. This is the way we do it. These are the term conditions we do. Why? They're not even sure at this point, but this is what they do. It's inertia. Um, security is an issue we talk about, and we, we go through that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Pricing is always a real fun one, too. Um, uh, they're used to a fixed price, locked-in price, um, and with our model, it's a utility model. That's a big change. Um, and you know, predictable payment, how that works into that too. And so we'll talk about all these, these, these issues and how we, these issues can be, how we can work through these issues of government to get, change their thinking. Um, so this just gives you that baseline around how that works. So what we've seen around cloud adoption um, is, is there are really five steps that come up. Um, so starting at the bottom, first is just getting them to understand it. And that's one area partners are so critical is it's amazing how people have a perception of cloud, but actually sitting down with them and showing them 
how cloud works, what it is, is critical. They just have to get their, their feet, fingers on the keyboard. I was talking to somebody today from a foreign government. They haven't used the cloud yet because they said we can't do it until the contract's there. And my immediate answer is you have to use the cloud before you start building a contract. If you don't do that, you'll never understand it and you'll be done incorrectly. Um, policy. Um, we're always looking around the world and what we find is um, there are regulations and laws sometimes that can be that can slow things down or be difficult. Privacy is one, or data sovereignty data has to stay in the country. We also run into policies that are more sort of perception. They, 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 they treat them like policy, but they're not actual real policy. And by the way, that's a question always to ask. Somebody tells you it's a policy, where? Show me the language where that is. Tell me the document, tell me where the, where the source of that is. More times than I can count, we've gone and actually talked to them and they don't have something actually written to that point. Interesting thing to look at. So security and compliance. Um, uh, it's, it's an area that I think we've gotten much better at. I think people understand our model now much more clearly. I know four years ago, but when I started here, it was a very difficult discussion. Um, I think it's a great story on our side, but you have to understand the story. And we'll talk about the shared responsibility. Um, culture, I'll go to the top one. Um, people are afraid for their jobs. They think their job is going to go away. Um, and that's something to sit down and say, it's a shift. It's thinking differently about how you're gonna run your business within government. Um, and so these four areas that I've already talked about are the areas that I think we've made good strides on. I mean, I think we've really shifted the thinking, uh, all of us, this is a collective way. This is Amazon, but it's our partners too. Procurement right now is still the area that is, I think really has become the number one issue. Um, um, and this is an area that we are, you know, we rely on you because you're gonna have the same conversation with the government. You have to have the same conversation. They need to understand it from partners as well as from AWS. So we're hoping this will at least plant a seed for how you think about it and the, and, and the right points to go through. So let's, a couple basic things. Um, government tends to take cloud and lump it into one thing. And there was a state, both Jane and I work on, I won't name the state, and I remember they put it all in one lump, it's cloud. And they had terms and conditions and approaches that worked for, they wanted to cover SaaS, platform as a service, and infrastructure as a service. They're different terms, they're different approaches. And trying to mix the pieces together, plus trying to put managed services under that and people and professional services all under one umbrella, doesn't work. So one of the first core questions is, what kind of cloud are you looking at? How are you gonna break this cloud up? Or how are you gonna look at these different pieces? Because they're bought differently, even between companies too. So understanding this concept between infrastructure, platform, and software, this is a very simple way of looking at it, but it's a critical part for them to understand. What is their definition of cloud? And I think that's a question, that's a part of the conversation that has to happen. So out of all of this, we've sort of, learned through a lot of discussions and working with people around how a successful, well-built cloud strategy ends up working. Um, so these are sort of the six kind of core takeaways. It's not everything, but these are sort of the core takeaways. Um, we tell government when you're, when you're writing an RFP, you wanna focus on sort of the end point, the performance, the, the benefits for the users. It is not about the, the um, you know, the nuts and bolts about how you're gonna build this thing, the servers. I and mean, we see things in there where the floor must be this high off the ground, the sprinkler system must be made of this, those kinds of things. Focus on the end point. It's the outcomes. Um, prioritizing the outcomes that are there. 
Um, you don't worry about what the hardware is. And it's shifting that thinking to, I need to buy the right resource that will help me accomplish my job, not thinking about the hardware that's running it. Um, we want to keep away from recycling the traditional IT approaches. And, um, you know, that's probably the core thing from the beginning is to sit down and say, what do you, what do you use right now? Let's walk through this. Um, understanding self-service. And by the way, that's one thing when you go in and talk to the government, ask them, do you know they can use AWS right now? And that's a question I run into. I tell that to government on a regular basis. And they, they don't recognize, they don't understand that. It seems so obvious, but they don't. And it's a simple question to ask. If you ever just go on and do it and go build something right now. It's an interesting thing. It's more, I'm surprised at how many people run into that. Um, and finally, you know, they allow rapid innovation. Um, and I think that's one of the hardest parts about building these procurement and these frameworks. And that's, we'll talk about those in a few minutes, but is allowing that flexibility of the cloud. We had a thousand upgrades, feature changes last year. I think we're on pace for more than that this year. And how do you build that into the contract? So these are sort of the key elements that we see at the baseline that you have to kind of build around. So the first thing when I go in and I start talking to folks, typically we're going in and we're talking to a CIO. Who do you guys talk to? Typically the business side of, the, of an organization, the government, business leader, or a CIO, maybe a CTO. Um, first thing I say, or one of the early parts of the discussion is, you need to bring in a team. And the team needs to include procurement, needs to include legal, contracts, finance. They must form a little tiger team. They need to be involved in these discussions from the beginning early. So this is a list of some of the kind of key people that we see. If they're all together working, then they, they all understand at the same pace and same time. And what we find in government is they tend to sometimes, the technology folks will put together the technology piece, give it to procurement, procurement will write, use the standard terms, standard document that they have, standard template, and then things get difficult. Um, so that is one of the things, if you bring those people in, I've actually sat in a room with a lawyer, we've actually demoed the, the console to them. 15 minutes, real quick, just give you a sense of it. We're not going deep technically. And they go, oh, I have to think very differently about this. Mm -hmm. They get it. You can tell them 100 times if you show it. So bringing these people together is a critical part of, uh, of how you do this going forward if you're running into this. Okay, so you all may be aware of this or may not, but I'll walk through this. Um, it's, it's important to understand how government can buy um, AWS. First, there is a direct contract. They can buy AWS raw. We have a few direct contracts in different places. Um, and so that's available. And we do do that occasionally, uh, but more often than not, we are going through partners. Most of our business is through partners. So indirect, it's important to understand the differences of how these pieces work. Um, first, we have a resell. Anybody, anybody in the room a reseller? Okay. So resell contracts. We have some contracts that are only resell out there with our resell partners on them. Um, there's the standard traditional RFP where Amazon may be a piece of a larger system integration project. Um, there are framework contracts. Does anybody, does framework make sense to you all? Um, it's like a big term contract or IDIQ. Um, it's basically, you know, uh, yeah, it's a, um, you know, zero dollar contract. Anybody on a zero dollar contract? And, or a license to hunt. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so that's one of the things that we focus on. We want to work with government right now to help build those type of IDIQ, license to hunt type contracts right now. It's a big focus, especially internationally. 
we always want to include partners in that mix. Partners are critical to that. Um, um, managed services, that's an obvious one too, where you guys come in and do that as well. Um, so the different types of contracts that we've seen out there are obviously sole source type contracting. Um, there's some governments who allow sole sourcing. Uh, they will actually have a, a methodology for doing that or a dollar threshold um, framework like I talked about. Cooperative contracts, Jane has been involved in a very large state contract, cooperative contract. Um, and then also another area to look at is existing contracts. I was, um, I was in South America and we actually looked at an existing contract for data center in a country down there. And there was flexibility in that contract to actually add cloud to that piece. That's another way to do it. It's actually a very fast way if they have the flexibility to do it. So understand, these are, that was a very quick, easy way to understand it, but, or fast way, but this goes much deeper than this. But understand there's lots of different options and be prepared to talk to the government about those options. And the importance of you, our AWS partners. We cannot do this without you. Um, you are not only our scaling mechanism, you are our professional services. We have a very small in-house professional services team and really the goal of that team is to help enable you as a, as a, a more mature partner in, in the community. Um, you can hit the button. Most of our contracts that we've been successful at achieving have been won or primed by you, our partner ecosystem. Um, because again, as Dave talked about, most of the procurements are not just, some are now asking, some now today are asking, I just want AWS. I just want the nuts and bolts of AWS services. Even in those procurements, they either say, um, I, they, they will have some other thing attached to that. Maybe they want billing nuances that go more complex than what our billing today does. A university, as an example, they want to be able to get a bill down to the teacher or student level, and our billing only goes from parent to child, right? Um, when you aggregate the accounts, things like that. That one little nuance has kicked us out of the running and you, our partner community, becomes the expert in being able to deliver on that requirement of the contract. Um, so most of our procurements or contracts are held by you guys. Now, the three blocks here, you gotta take them with just a little bit of a grain because in the first block, obviously cloud infrastructure and platform. Yes, that's us, that's AWS. That's what we have, that's what we deliver on, the same way across the globe, in the same way, right? There's nothing custom about this for our customers. The training support, training and support, yes, we have training, we have support, but so do you, the partner. This is so critical to your business. And our professional services organization, the partner, excuse me, the partner development managers, it's our job to help enable you to become experts at training your customers, supporting your end customers. You are my customer, okay? And we wanna be able to support you and be customer obsessed over you, our partner. Um, so the first box, it can include partners as well. Definitely the second box is all about our consulting partners. 
and like I said, the billing, it can become very complex. And, and some of you may even then choose to reach out to yet another AWS partner for tools, a technology partner that has third, uh, tools that can help you to be more efficient with the billing uh, nuances. Maybe you have um, um, you know, additional governance or change management. That's, that is also critical. As Dave indicated, you know, these customers, our public sector customers, are, they've been doing these jobs for decades, right? What do you mean this new technology is coming along and going to boost me out of my seat? We, we've got to change that thinking, the change management of the new technology that can make their lives run a whole lot more efficient and gives them a new skill to add to their resume. You know, are you the partner that can have that successful conversation with that CTO or CIO that gives them that level of comfort with governance and change management? Um, of course, application development, that's a no-brainer, right? You guys are awesome at this. Um, our, our colleague, Dan Kaysen, who runs the technology partners in the room, I'm gonna point him out. He, he's developing technology partners left and right, where they've built solutions powered by AWS um, that these procurements may be partnered with a consulting partner for the professional services piece. They come together to provide a whole solution for that end customer that then you see in that third box of all of our, our um, public sector friends. Okay. The importance of the partner role. So what is it that this partner system is all about anyway? It's about business and technical enablement. And we've got a lot of information out there on our uh, Advanced Partner Network web pages. If you just literally type up AWS partner, you're gonna get to all those pages and I think the links are in the back here. But it's about the enablement. Um, some of my team members were going out helping a couple of uh, national partners uh, in the coming months and we were calling it training. We were training their sales folks. And the sales folks said, I, you know, look, I got, I got technical people behind me that are gonna come behind and do that. I need you, AWS, to enable me to be able to sell AWS. And I really had to stop and, and, and take note of that. Um, so, you know, make me accountable for what you need as a partner, right? Everybody's got a different position in the company that's going to make you successful at the end of the day, we need that feedback to help to help you, okay? So those are the different elements, a lot of, a lot of words there, right, that I won't go into. But at the end of the day, it's business and technical enablement. We can do well-architected um, reviews with you if you have a solution, or maybe you've created the architecture for your customer and you want one of our solutions architects to take a look at it. As an AWS partner in the public sector, we can provide you those resources, okay? Please reach out and let us know. The sales and marketing enablement, I wanna to speak to that. In, once you became a partner, you were provided a login to the APN portal, okay? It's the internal uh, space for you as a partner where there's training tabs, um, a, a tab for uh, lots, of, lots of resources. One of those important tabs is marketing, and it's called Marketing Central. It is a third-party service that you can take advantage of. You, you, it, it's completely free. Um, even our contract holders for NASPA Value Point, we've created uh, custom templates so that logos for the NASPA Value Point are already embedded in the 
you know, whether it's a letter template or you know, something that can be incorporated into an email campaign, that's all out there now on Marketing Central within the APN portal. Please take advantage of that resource for you as a partner. Um, of course, our partners allow us to scale. They give us expertise that AWS does not have. You have a knowledge like none other. Let us help you to differentiate what that knowledge is. Let us help you to shape what those opportunities look like so your knowledge can be the winning bid, the winning response. Um, Dave's going to speak to the last three for his international expertise. Localization, currency. And oh, yeah, that's, yeah. Um, only a few of you raised your hands around uh, uh, international, but a couple things to think about that we, 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 we work with partners, all of these things that Jane talked about, but localization, this is language. Um, you know, th this is something on the ground that we have people on the ground in these countries, but we do not have the footprint like you, you do who are working internationally. And, and if you're not, think about it. There's, lots of, there's a lot of great markets out there. Um, uh, currencies, another area. Right now, AWS only provides its pricing in US dollars. And for governments around the world, that can be a challenge. And we've got partners who have built an, an approach around providing AWS, access to AWS in a local currency, and they've built programs and systems around that uh, to do that. So it's another area that partners can fit in, in, an, international, in, in an international Yeah. But. These are conversations that Dave and I have had multiple times with, with end customers and with partners. We make ourselves available to you. My team can make themselves available to you. Um, just recently, um, a customer in upstate, um, we needed to get on the phone together. You know, they were not finding success at getting this customer over the hump for the procurement. They simply could not understand how uh, utilizing a PO and a competitive bid just to get this utility thing called cloud. They could not get, get the words just so across to this customer. But together, myself and this partner on the phone with the end customer, we were able to have this joint conversation and, and bring it to fruition and the customer's up and running today. So again, please take advantage of, give one of us a call, we can help with that or any one of my team. Partner models. Of course, I, so I said, um, when you first register, you choose whether or not um, in your, how we define a consulting partner, um, which is you know, professional services, or maybe a technology partner, right? You've developed a solution um, that is powered by AWS. There are some consulting partners who have created a technology, but primarily they consult or here's my offering and then let me give you the professional services. So that's your choice. You can define how, how that looks. Um, today, our consulting partners are the ones that are eligible for resale, not our technology partners. So if that's a path that you want to go down, please check the box for consulting partners so that we can work with you there. Um, there are SaaS or software as a service partners utilizing our AWS marketplace as one avenue for a go-to-market strategy as well as just working hand-in-hand -hand with our sales teams for that go-to-market uh, sales assistance. Um, some of the things that our consulting partners do that are key and critical, again, this governance 
change management conversation or planning and assessment. It's not, I, I had a partner meeting right before I came over here and, and I, I liked how they termed it. Um, I think we, we talk about, or in the industry, it's, it's a lift and shift. Just lift and shift that data center right over to the cloud, right? I think all of us in this room probably have had that conversation a couple of times. And did it really get us, our, did it get our customer where they needed to be? Did someone find success with a true lift and shift? Yeah, they didn't, right? And we've all had to learn that. So this partner calls it lift and reshape. Because in order to get the benefits of the cloud technology, it can't look like what it looked like in the traditional data center, right? There's maybe only using 20% of the capacity on the on-prem data center. You move it over here, maybe that application was so old or antiquated that it shouldn't have even gone to the cloud. Maybe now you should be using Redshift to store your data, right? To build your data lake in. Um, so our partners have this expertise. Whether you've come from old school IT and carry that incredible knowledge with you of how it works there, learn the new stuff, right? How can it work over here in the reshaping of the cloud technology. Of course, systems integrators who, they stand in front and you know, bring the whole team to the party and, and really come up with a 100% solution for those customers. And then of course, the migration partner. Lots of programs that go with each one of these um, types of partners to help you grow your business. Uh, Christine Henley's in the room. If we have questions afterwards, she is helping to develop public sector-specific partner programs that can address those. Okay, okay. Um, so the final piece of this is gonna be talking about some of the key considerations to understand around procurement and acquisition. We have this conversation with government all the time, and we wanna help you have this same conversation because we all need to do this together. This is really a shift in thinking, um, and we're doing this worldwide. I, I love going abroad, and they go, oh, the U.S. is so far ahead learning the same lessons in the U.S. as we are anywhere else in the world right now. So, um, so we've talked about IS and PASS. It's understanding that and making sure you have that conversation and they understand what they're looking at. Um, one of the things we talk about with this is with framework type contracts is how do you separate these up? How do you break these into a framework contract and make them work correctly? Um, and being flexible about it. And I'll give an example in the U.K. Uh, there's a contract there called G Cloud very successful cloud buying vehicle for all of government there. Um, uh, five years in, in the making, um, they've actually really started to make it work and it's working very well right now. Um, they've learned that trying to separate all these into you know, IS and PASS into two different pieces doesn't even make sense anymore. Where's the line anymore? They're learning. And I think it's those kind of learnings that we can bring over to some of the other governments as they go forward. The advanced procurement officer will understand that a cloud contract should encompass each one of those um, IAS, PASS, and SAS. Um, if they are insisting to keep them separate, then please proceed with what do the terms and conditions look, for that, look like for that? Because if they're gonna separate them into swim lanes, then you need to ensure that the terms and conditions reflect that of a SAS offering, okay? It looks very different than an infrastructure offering. All right, and, and we could spend many hours telling you what the differences in those are and happy to do so, but that's critical. If they don't wanna give you the all up cloud scope, 
and they want to go into the swim lanes, ensure that the terms and conditions match when you have the time, when you pre-RFP or pre-response time to make that shaping happen. That's critical. Otherwise, the, the procurement won't work. So we talked about this earlier too. One of the great challenges that I see is how do they accept the ongoing innovation? Um, and uh, you know, the UKG Cloud, I'll bring that one up again as an example again. They did six month refreshes thinking, okay, that will keep us up with, with the new stuff that's coming pretty quickly and pretty easily. Six months in cloud is forever. I mean, it's forever. We have people call up and say, oh, we would like to do this. Well, it's not on the contract and won't be for another six months. And that, you know, for an end customer in the government, that's, you know, that's who's really into the cloud and using it, it doesn't work. Um, so the real challenge is to see how do you develop a framework buying contract or a contract to buy cloud as you need it in an IDIQ model that will allow the innovation every day. Um, and I think really where they're going ultimately is they're not taking data from AWS and putting it in a big website or in a spreadsheet or whatever. They just send you to the website. It's there. We understand it. And we're not going to evaluate it. We're just going to use the data that they're providing. And that's the ultimate goal out of it. But that's the challenge. We have to get them to understand that piece of it. We worked with the state of Texas on this uh, as another example. And the conversation went a little bit like this. They, they wanted to do something similar. Let's just have a quarterly review of the contract, and we'll update things, right? Because that's how they did it in old school. You know, when, when a new hard drive would come out, we'd add that SKU, and it'd all be good, right? This pace of innovation, that, that can't be. The contract needs to be fluid. So the, the conversation was about, do you really want to be locked out of the nuances of the cloud? That's the first thing. That is the whole benefit of why you're doing this in the first place. What's critical to that is what Dave indicated. I did a demo of AWS, just a brief demo of the console uploading um, something simplistic into an S3 bucket, how fast you can turn on an EC2 instance. I demonstrated that to the procurement officer and they were just like blown away, right? We talked about the Fitbit that was on her arm and how that data is being stored in the cloud and you get those updates every night saying, hey, you need to update this, right? So that you have the most up-to-date stuff, the code on your Fitbit. The bells and whistles finally started going off with this contracting officer, and she understood that if I had to wait for that update on a quarterly basis, my Fitbit wouldn't even work anymore. But it was that simplistic of an example that finally got this procurement officer to click. So I encourage you to, again, force us to have that conversation with you because you are our extension. You are out there in front of us. Let us help you have those conversations to get you over that mile. And I'll say tomorrow is an interesting day around this because I've been in a conversation after last year's reInvent when all of these new services came out, all of these things came out, and somebody it was north of here, um, country said, uh, we want that. That's great. We got to eat. It's not on the contract you have. You have to wait, I think, two years because of the way you set it up. Yeah. And that got people's attention very, very quickly. And so it's a very simple way to show this, you know, this graphic or talking about it or just showing and a couple of things that just came out last week is a way to get people thinking about it differently and not getting caught up in the old way of doing things, which is sort of the theme of this discussion. Um, governance. Um, uh, bringing, you know, Jane talked about expertise with governance. There's a couple different areas around governance. There's obviously managing the cloud and how you're gonna do that. But there's also governance around a contract. Um, we have a recently awarded contract. Again, I'm not going to throw any countries under the, under the bus here, but they, lots of terms and conditions, work through it. We have our partners work through it. Really successful. We're happy we got an award. They just came and said, well, how do we do this now? 
and their thinking was still, how are we going to manage this internally? And their thinking was the agency would come to them and say, I want an EC2 instance. I want this one. Turn it on for me. You want to change something? Send some paperwork over. We'll change it for you to this instance. And as you all know, if you start working on the cloud and take two days to do any type of change, again, the benefits are gone. They hadn't thought about that governance model, how they're going to manage it. The other question we get is, how do I manage my budget? What if I go over, somebody spins up a thousand instances? Well, you need a governance model to do that. Partners can come in and manage that governance model, build that governance model, help them do it, build their teams up to do it. It's a critical part of the, the thinking. And this, I find, is we get so caught up in the terms and conditions that sometimes this gets neglected. And I think this is a great area for all the partners to make sure you talk to this point. Um, utility pricing. Um, you know, this is where bringing the finance person into the room to understand how this works and get them understanding around, you know, I have a budget model and I have a fixed budget that I can work with. How do they work this way? I find that governments can figure this out. They buy electricity, they understand how to do this, they can build a model to do this, but they have to get comfortable and their finance teams have to get comfortable with this as well. Um, so it's, it's getting them to embrace that full model. And again, if you try to do it in some fixed price format or something like that, the benefits go away. Um, it, it's also about the transparency of how we provide our pricing. Our pricing is the same price on the website for every customer across the globe. Now, we have it by region, um, by service, but it's the same price, and it, it, it's out there on the website. It, we, 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 point, we bring that up in our meetings. We show them where it is on the website. You know, many IT providers for, for decades, you know, here's the education pricing, here's the government pricing, here's the commercial pricing, and maybe there was just an MSRP, and MSRP was never even utilized, right? We are super transparent, and we're cutting those prices many times. Um, flywheel effect, right? The more customers we have, we're gonna, we, we, we want to be able to, to have, share in those efficiencies, right? That's, that's an odd thing for an IT company. We feel strongly about that as being customer obsessed, okay? Where we can provide those, that flywheel effect of, of cost efficiencies back to our customers. I think the biggest thing on this utility pricing, obviously utility is so different from fixed price. Government's getting over that. They are. They haven't gotten rid of the PO and the contract, but they're, they're getting better at the utility pricing. And I think the transparency of where that pricing sits is helping that argument. And Jane mentioned about 20% you know, off for government, 10% off for education or whatever what it is. Government still expects that. I run into that all the time. Um, it's helping them understand our model for discount which is, you know, it's, we have this tremendous RI capability. That's one area, teaching them that, how that works. It's the commitment and the usage. It's a different way of doing it, but it, it, there's a lot of benefits there. Also, teaching them about optimization. They sit down and they build a, a workload and they design it, and the workload is, okay, well, it's there. If you sit down and really optimize it, that's where cost saving comes to, and they have to understand that concept. And so if you work through those things and they get that, and that takes time and energy pre-RFP, working partners can do the same thing, should be doing the same thing, we can, we can shift their thinking. So the transparency plus the model has to be explained. Uh, shared responsibility model. Um, government is used to sort of contracting these out and expecting the vendor to do most of the work. Um, 
And this is a shift in thinking about how, who is doing what. You know, the example that we always talk about is encryption. It's a very simple example. Uh, you know, we, I simply sit down with somebody writing an RFP and I go, if you ask for the data to be encrypted directly to Amazon, we give you the skills, we give you the, the tools, we give you the best practices to do that. But we don't do it. That's your decision to do it. It's a very, it's a subtle nuance in an RFP, but it's a very important nuance. Partners can actually do that, and that's where a partner can come in and understand how to do that. But understanding how to explain the shared responsibility model, and we talked about all those people in the room, you know, with procurement and contracts and finance, bringing the security people in the room too as these discussions are going on in an RFP too, because the RFPs tend to love accreditations. Give me this accreditation, bring this in. And they tend to try, an example was Singapore about four years ago. They came in and said, you must meet this accreditation, the security accreditation. Okay, well, we don't have this right now. It's unique to the city of Singapore. What are we gonna do? So we started looking at it. We dug into it. It was ISO 27001 with a layer on top of it. That's all it was. And we, we had to go in and explain that to them. But that's the kind of conversation we need to be having in advance. Partners can do that. If you're doing that at the RFP stage, that's a difficult thing to try to do through questions and answers, <laughs> try to fix that. Um, so understanding this, having their folks on the procurement side even too, understanding this. And the security of the cloud, security in the cloud. Um, we, we've, we've far advanced this, right? We now have business associates agreements that go along with HIPAA data, okay? And many of my partners uh, you know, who are new to that space come back and ask me, hey Jane, do, you know, where, do, where does that BAA need to, to land, right? Well, if you're dealing, it's just as an example, the HIPAA, the BAA, you would, if you're offering a managed service, um, where you're going to be dealing with the customer's data, obviously you need a business associates agreement with that, or you would want to have one with that customer. You also want to have one with AWS because you're the one that's being responsible for that data offering a managed service. Um, maybe as a reseller, again, you're not touching the data, so is that business associates agreement necessary? But as a partner, you are the conduit. So you are the conduit between the end customer and AWS. So that BAA would be with you, the customer, you, and AWS as an example of security in the cloud, security of the cloud. Okay, and I think that slide, these slides are gonna be online, by the way, for everybody to, to have access to. That, I, that's a, a really critical slide when you're first starting that conversation with the customer talking about shared uh, security, security model. And I always do this, I jump ahead to a slide and I talk about it, but encryption is a good example. And just, I think it's a very simple example to when you're talking to a customer early to explain some of the differences. Simple, clear. And guys, bring up the console. It takes yep. five seconds, okay? Bring up the console and show your procurement officer and the IT director the checkbox. Do you want to encrypt your data? Yes or no? You decide. Or if, if, if I, the customer does not want, if I'm the customer and don't want to make that decision, then I'm paying you as a managed service provider to do that, to make that decision. And you, the partner, then checks that box. But don't let that procurement go by your desk where they insist on the provider or the CSP, the cloud provider, to automatically encrypt all the data, right? Leave room for either you as a managed service provider to do that or the end customer to do it. That's the point behind this. But get out the, the laptop and show them how simple it can be. 
or the, what you can provide as a service. And that's lawyers, that's yes, procurement, that's, that's contracts, that's everybody. Guys, it really so does help. lawyers even need to see this, right? Because lawyers are there to protect all of us, right? Even though we might think so, think other ways on different days. Um, they, once they can see how this works too, they don't understand the technology any more than the procurement officer. The IT guy barely gets it, right? You guys as awesome rockstar partners are teaching the IT folks. I'm sorry to say, you've got to go do a little bit of education with the procurement and lawyers. Get them all in the same room at some point. When it makes sense, ask your customer to gather those folks in the same room and do a little bit of a demo, spin up an instance, show them encryption, show them shared responsibility model, or whatever service it is that you are providing as that, that consulting partner. And, and then they can ask, the lawyer is gonna ask the IT director, is that the policy you're going to, to bring about? Is that the policy you're going to enforce? Well, okay then, I can remove that risk from the terms and conditions because you're gonna be able to take care of that, right? But if those conversations took place in two different rooms, it will never go well, okay? Very important. Or they don't happen at all. Or they don't and, happen And it at goes all. into the RFP and yes. you're trying to fix this through questions and answers. Um, audits is another one. Um, this, is, this tends to be an inertia thing, I find. We always ask for an audit. Why? Well, we just ask, we ask for the right to audit the facility. And you know, we have to explain why, how AWS operates that way. Think about it, AWS has millions of customers. If we opened up the data center for every single person to walk through, think of what it does for security. It's a very simple story, but it's, it's a story that government needs to hear, and it's not just the IT guy you're talking to. It's the whole array of people that are involved in this. And we have third-party audit reports yep. that are available to customers, partners, everybody out there. And they're now available through the AWS console, so you can get to them. You no longer have to come to us and say, please, can I have this report? They're out there on the console. I can't remember what the tool is called on the console, but they're out there. And I actually saw an RFP last week that actually asked for those specifically in the RFP. So, Guys, we're, you, you're doing a great job at shaping what these RFP procurements look like. We need your help every day to make this happen for things like this. SLAs is another area that we run into. Um, government is very used to sitting down and writing their own SLAs or creating a blanket set of SLAs. It's so important to explain how the AWS model works. In a sense, you create your own SLAs about how you build on, on Amazon. Uh, if you put it in multiple regions, multiple AZs, how you set it up, that has the SLA effect, and it's explaining that model to them. If they say, I need a 99.999% uh, availability for all of Amazon, well, they're not understanding what, how Amazon operates and understanding the model. And so this is a critical area that can get ignored, and all of a sudden you've got a mandatory requirement or an RFP that's got to be dealt with. So walking through this and having the story down, we can help with that story, but understand this, we've run into this in multiple RFPs. This is a regular thing we run into because they're so used to just putting in their own thing, build this to my specifications, and these numbers to my specifications, what they're used to doing. And as a partner, you can customize your own SLAs, mm -hmm. right? You're professionals, you're providing a professional <clears throat> service. These are the underpinning SLAs that we have. They're not custom, they are what we have because the service works the same way across the globe for all of our customers. But you as the partner providing additional services on top of what we are providing, 
you possibly could provide a different type of SLA. So keep that in mind as well, depending on that service that you're, you're providing. Terms and conditions, these are our favorite. Um, this is, this is this, an area that is a challenge that we, again, the discussions with legal and advanced to understand how our terms work, how we fit it in with a partner, partner having a contract with the government, AWS and its involvement. The bottom line, and this is, this is a probably, we could do a three hour session on this. Um, the bottom line is this, is understanding at the base level why the AWS terms and conditions work this way. If you could explain the why, that goes a long way. I find that if you go in there and you sit down and you logically walk through each of these areas and the why AWS works this way, most people get it, it makes sense. But it's a big shift in thinking. And so having that conversation with the procurement folks, the legal folks, even bringing your own lawyer in, we've even brought our own lawyers in, non-negotiation just to sit down and do an hour discussion. And have go the, a long way. And have the technologists in the room so they yep. can attest that, yep, it does work that way and I'm okay with that plan. Okay, so this is just a quick list of some of the basic ones we run into. We'll let you guys take this one on your own, and we have some documents that will show you with more information on it. So how can we help you, right? Um, we've created a, a web page that actually has several tabs. This is the URL. Jot it down, or when you get the slide deck, um, go out there, check it out. There's, there is, um, uh, you know, talk points, how to talk to these folks. Um, training modules, um, contract vehicles that are available, um, other partners that may want to partner. It, it is a, a, a literal roadmap to helping you navigate this, okay? This was the Jane and Dave conversation until our marketing folks put together this website. So it, it is a one-stop shopping, literally, at least as a place to get started. So please take a look at that. By the way, our website is a great resource if you're not using it right now. It's got it, it really does deep. have everything. And just make sure you understand that. Um, so I head up the International Capture and Proposal Team, um, and we are a resource as well that you can reach out to. There's a couple of different things we do. First, we help with responses, uh, partner packages. We do that. We have a proposal team. So if you've got an RFP, we can help out with basic information that we have. We've got lots of information where it is. We can put together a response package for you if you reach out to us. We're happy to help with that. We're not writing the RFP for you. We're giving you content so you can take that content and create your own message and your own approach. Um, we have guidance. That's what Capture is here. I go out all the time and I work with partners, first to train like this, but also to go out and work with them as they're going in and talking to an end government customer. And so Capture is there to help with those conversations, to understand these points. We can sit down, we've done workshops with partners, all day workshops with the government to sit down. Here's the partner who's really interested in this opportunity, bringing AWS in to help have that conversation. We're also working with, we're, we're going in directly, usually on framework type contracts to help shape those contracts in advance. We also work with partners on those as well. Um, sometimes it's multiple partners. Um, so recognize that there is this Capture function. And uh, we have, teams in the U.S. and we have teams internationally that do all this. So reach out to your, through your PDM, they can get you in touch with the right people on our side. Um, case studies and all the other information on the website, like I mentioned earlier, are there. And recognize how important that information is. You can get answers to a lot of what you're doing through the information on the website. 
Other resources around procurement. So this is how seriously we take this. Uh, we have multiple documents on procurement. We have a, a best practices document. We, so we have a, what we call the top 10 considerations. It's about a four page document. It's a great leave behind early in the process. Give it to them, it's a quick read. They can go through it and get a sense of what the issues are. When they start getting serious and they really wanna understand it, we have a deep dive document, 35, 40 pages. That goes into very granular detail around that. We're happy that you can use that as a starting point. We're also happy to help come in and have that discussion with you. And you can learn from that document about how to have the right discussion. The best practices document actually takes clips from RFPs where the language that we help to shape the opportunity to give you guys some ideas of how to have those conversations. That's in the, the first document noted there. And one other doc I'll point out to you is a Gartner document about contracting with AWS. It was a fascinating read, totally done independently. Um, you know, we tell government, if you have access to Gartner, take a look at it. Just, you'll, get a, you'll get a sense of how AWS operates, and then you can talk about how you come in in, that, in in the partner role around that. So that's the end. We got here done in 55 minutes. So, <laughs> four um, minutes left. Four minutes left. So we're, what kind of questions do folks have? Any, any questions right now? Or? We're welcome to take questions afterwards. Yeah. I did soup, what, three years ago? Yeah. One of the, I, I don't even know where we are with soup. I've been- We're on soup five. Soup five right now, it's still yeah. soup five. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, there are examples of a catalog on there and partners having catalog on there. Right. Uh, where, where they've created the catalog? Well, UKG Cloud is one. Yeah. I mean, UKG Cloud, we're on it directly, and we have, I think there's 68 AWS partners on that contract doing a variety of services. The brilliance of that contract was submit your catalog, whatever it is, in whatever format you want it to be. That's the success of that. So we're able to submit our stuff the way it is, and our partners are able to create yeah. packages or software on top of it, whatever they want. I'm sorry. Come okay. grab me. Yeah, because I'm not, I'm sorry. I'm not un, uh, understanding it. I'm sure there's something that absolutely we can deep dive on that. Thank you. Please, Any other questions? Please come see us. Don't forget to pick up the card if you want to learn more about the Public Sector Partner Program. It's on the, the table as you head out. Thank you for traveling to come to reInvent. We so appreciate your time at 5 o'clock in, in a very busy day. Be safe, and uh, we'll see you next year for sure, if not sometime in between, I hope. Thank, Thank you. you.